Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. And if you're a returning listener or viewer of Pop Health Podcast, you'll notice this isn't our traditional format. Well, we wanted to bring a recording of a town hall session with leaders from the LA County Department of Public Health as they discussed the facts of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. We hope you enjoyed today's episode in which the LA County Department of Public Health's Healthcare Outreach Unit Chair, Dr. Zachary Rubin, as well as a public health nurse liaison, Alejandro Ramirez, talk about what the vaccine is and why it's important to get the vaccine. They stick with facts and data, uh, which is great in today's world of information from so many different resources. Sometimes it's hard to know what's true and what's not. So again, this is a special episode. It's a recording from a town hall session that Dr. Rubin and Alejandro had with the staff of 24-Hour Home Care. We hope you enjoyed today's session. And of course, if you'd like to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast, you can visit us at pophealthpodcast.com. Check us out on YouTube or visit us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Music, or other podcast channels as well. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this special episode. Again, folks, thank you so much for joining us. We're very privileged to have two esteemed guests from the LA County Department of Public Health with us. And as you can see on your screen, today we're going to talk about the facts of the COVID-19 vaccine. There's so much information out there from different sources, and we really want to get to the experts, the folks that are helping to distribute, administer the vaccine, and our leaders here in LA County. For those of you who are outside of LA County, this information will hopefully be helpful to you as well. And again, uh, seek your local public health department for additional information for your particular county. So I want to introduce our first guest, which is Alejandro Ramirez. Now, Alejandro serves as a liaison public health nurse with the Department of Public Health here in Los Angeles. Alejandro has served many years as an ICU nurse for UCLA Health and recently made the move over to the Department of Public Health about a couple of years ago, where he serves in the healthcare outreach unit. And one of the things that's great about Alejandro is he is, just like Dr. Rubin, often on the front line administering the vaccine. So he'll be able to share some of his insight with us today. Alejandro, welcome. You're muted, but I did see the wave. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Alejandro. All Thanks. right. And, th and then our next guest is Dr. Zachary Rubin, and he is the chief of the healthcare outreach unit for the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. He's also an infectious disease expert and has served 14 years over at UCLA, where he still serves uh, periodically on the weekends, uh, working some extra shifts to help with the teaching over there at UCLA. Dr. Rubin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So uh, let's go back to Alejandro. And before we get into the main meat and potatoes of today, Alejandro, we'd like to get to know you a little bit. So maybe tell, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Hello everyone. So a fun fact about myself is uh, during this quarantine time, I really got back into analog photography. When I was in high school, I wanted to be like a photo editor of a major magazine. <laughs> um, my career path went a different way. Um, but just recently, um, the last couple of months, I've been really getting back into um, analog photography and I've um, started to develop my own film at my house. So, and I love photography. Awesome. Thanks, Alejandro. And how about you, Dr. Rubin? A uh, fun fact about yourself. Um, I've become expert in helping over helping uh, debug Zoom school for my three children. <laughs> oh, nice. And how old are your children? 
Uh, I have 18-year-old twins, uh, seniors in high school, and a 12-year-old in seventh grade. All right. Awesome. So Zoom expert, physician, and father. Awesome. Well, let's start with you, Dr. Rubin. And can you share with us from a high level, what is your role with the strategy of how LA County is responding to the pandemic and how you're assisting with vaccine distribution? Sure. Thanks, Gavin. So um, as you mentioned before, I, uh, I'm fairly new to the LA County Department of Public Health. Prior to that, I ran uh, infection prevention for UCLA Health for many years. And uh, I came over to LA County Department of Public Health wanting something a little bit different. And uh, of course, I've gotten something quite different than I expected, which is the COVID, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic. Since COVID started, um, my unit is actually quite large. So we started about 20 people before COVID and now after COVID, we have almost 100 people um, in my unit, and we oversee um, infection control at healthcare facilities, including um, acute care hospitals, nursing homes, uh, congregate living facilities, uh, and ambulatory care facilities as well. So we've been trying to uh, help these types of facilities manage uh, COVID outbreaks and COVID response and try to upgrade their infection control. And since the vaccine has kind of been rolling out, um, we've also been involved in trying to roll out the vaccine, mostly to hospitals and nursing homes. And then we've also been involved in kind of the strategy behind uh, some of the vaccine rollout in, you know, in other sectors as well, like the over 65 year olds as well. Um, but, you know, again, a lot of, a lot of what we're doing as far as vaccine rollout is driven by the federal government and by the state. Um, they, they're the ones who kind of put together a lot of the tiers and the overall strategy, we've just been trying to get the vaccine out to the people who need it, which has been very, um, very complicated by the fact that we don't have as much vaccine as we want. So uh, it's been a very challenging year and especially challenging couple of months uh, with vaccine distribution. Yeah, I can bet, especially not just the vaccine distribution, but helping lead a staff that's grown five times from 20 people to 100 people. And one of those staff members is Alejandro. And Alejandro, you are not just doing, uh, you know, public health interactions with other facilities, but you're actually administering the vaccine yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the process for a recipient receiving the vaccine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, good morning, everyone. So before you get the vaccination, um, typically what you have to do is currently you have to uh, register online. Well, you check online first to see what phase we're on um, to see if you are eligible for the vaccine. Um, once you check and if you are eligible for the vaccine, um, our current process is to go online to register for an appointment, a date and a site. And then once you register online and you get an appointment, most of our pods are drive up. Um, there are some walk-in um, clinics that the LA City and LA County have been, you know, um, setting up. Um, but the pods that I've been working on have been the drive-in pods. And um, so, yeah, so when you get the vaccine, um, <clears throat> once you're at the pod, um, we identify you um, and then we check you in. And then the nurse makes sure that you don't have any contraindications. If you have any questions, um, you can always ask the nurse. The nurse will try to answer any question you may have. Um, and then after, you know, we administer the vaccination. Uh, it's pretty simple. You just administer the vaccination and then you wait five, uh, 15 to 30 minutes um, just to see if you have any symptoms. And 
then you drive off and that's pretty much it. We give you a white immunization card. And then um, typically for our sites, if you in, get one of the vaccinations, you're automatically signed up for the second dose, either 21 or 28 days later. And that's pretty much, that's, that's it. Um, pretty easy process. Um, some people wait 30 minutes to an hour and it's a couple of minutes because um, sometimes we do have to drop the vaccine um, and it will take a little while. But for the most part, most people can get through pretty quickly. Yeah, you mentioned pretty quickly. I actually received my second uh, dose yesterday at a, a clinic and it was uh, one where I can park and walk and there was a long line, but I was amazed at how quickly it moved. I mean, the staffing was amazing and I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay, you know, the next day. So far, so good. So I know you, uh, I believe you re also received the vaccine, correct, Alejandro? Yeah, so I actually just got my second dose today in the morning. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I got my second dose today. All right, awesome, cool. So let's get more into the vaccine itself. And we'll go over to Dr. Rubin. Dr. Rubin, would you mind sharing with our audience what makes up the vaccine itself and why is it, I guess, being celebrated as maybe something you know, different? Well, so the, the vaccine, is, so there are two vaccines that are currently um, under emergency use authorization in the United States. So that's the Pfizer vaccine that came out uh, probably about two weeks before the Moderna vaccine. Both of the vaccines are very similar to each other. So they're both um, based on the same technology, which is uh, called messenger RNA. So basically, if you think about the way influenza vaccines are, it's actually a protein um, that is derived from an egg, uh, a chicken egg, and, and then it's pure, and then they take proteins out of the virus um, that's grown in that egg, and they actually then kind of um, destroy the virus, and they just have these pieces of protein they put that in the vaccine and then they inject the vaccine. And that's how the influenza vaccine works. It, it actually is a protein that gets your immune system then to react to it. And then when your immune system reacts to that vaccine, it generates antibodies that protect you from uh, subsequent exposure to, uh, to influenza. So like that, the, um, these messenger RNA vaccines do the same thing. So they, they basically, um, it's the same idea, which is to get a protein from the, uh, the, the virus from the coronavirus um, that is then presented to your immune system and then your immune system reacts to it and produces antibodies that protect you against a subsequent um, infection with coronavirus. The, the slight difference uh, about this is that this is the first vaccine that's used um, this particular technology, this mRNA technology, which is, um, you know, a lot of people have heard about it. It's mRNA is messenger RNA, which is actually made in all of our cells and what the vaccine is is actually a, a messenger rna so it's a little bit of genetic material that's covered by a lipid uh, a little fat globule and then that's injected into the muscle and then that um and then that uh, genetic material is then taken up by the cells in in the muscle and the immune cells and then that the the, the actual immune cells then pr produce a um, a bit of protein on the surface of their cells and then the, um, and then the immune system kind of does its thing. So it, it actually has one step um, kind of removed from the like usual influenza virus in that it actually helps your body kind of generate this little protein instead of just having the protein injected in your body itself. So the reason why this is helpful is that it can actually be made much more quickly. So these vaccines um, don't require eggs to be made. They can be, um, you know, kind of generated more quickly. 
They're not ever part of a virus, so that mRNA doesn't actually come from a virus. It's something that's actually, um, you know, it's a part of of the um, the virus uh, RNA that is then kind of copied, and we can actually generate that um, and give that to people. And 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 the nice thing, I think, one thing that people are always questioning is, you know, well, what about this genetic material? Can it um, can it can it stay with us in our body for long periods of time? And we know that that's not true. We know that, that uh, messenger RNA only lasts for probably about an hour in our body. So once it's injected, um, it, it's, it, it never gets taken into the, into the nucleus of the cell. So it stays outside the nucleus of the cell. It doesn't ever become part of your DNA or anything like that. It just stays there and it, um, it just produces those proteins. And then those cells then um, kind of stop producing the proteins and, and uh, produce the immune response. So it is a really um, clever way to get this, uh, to get your immune system to um, recognize the real coronavirus. And the thing that I think that people, um, you know, that we, the people are celebrating is the fact that um, we did it very quickly. So a lot of people are, are, you know, concerned about that. And people think, well, you know, why, why was it done quickly? They must have uh, skipped a lot of steps. And actually that's not true at all. So we had a couple of, we got a little bit lucky with the vaccine, which is a lot of times vaccines take years to develop. Um, and this one did too. So uh, about 10 years or more before the, uh, the virus, before, before we saw um, COVID, they actually, you know, we actually have seen other coronaviruses. So if you remember um, SARS back in 2004, so, and then there, there's been another one, MERS, which has been kind of uh, an ongoing problem in the Middle East, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus. So those are coronaviruses and they're very similar to uh, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus that we're dealing with now that, 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 um, that causes COVID. And so one of the lucky things that we have is the fact that people had actually been working on vaccines for the earlier um, SARS coronavirus and this virus is actually very, very similar to it. So they took a lot of that work that had already been done for the last decade or so and just kind of pivoted it a little bit to the new virus. And so a lot of that, you know, that 10 years of work has now been kind of just, you know, uh, used for, for the SARS-CoV-2 virus that, that causes COVID. So that was certainly a, a lucky break on our part. But then once we actually figured out, okay, this is the, um, this is the kind of vaccine that we need to develop, uh, the, these messenger RNA vaccines have already have also been worked on for more than a decade. So the technology has been around and has, it wasn't used in a commercial way before, but has been used on people in the past and for different um, for you know different studies over the last ten years. So this is not a new technology, and the virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, is similar to the SARS-CoV-1 virus enough that they could kind of benefit from those things. So the only thing that really did went quickly is kind of the um, the study design and the, and the studies that actually um, were started to actually show benefit of the virus uh, of the of the vaccine against the virus, and those studies were done um, very quickly. And I mean, a lot of that is because the regulatory um, you know issues, the FDA, um, kind of made things a little bit smoother. So I can I can say I've actually been involved in two. Um, vaccine trials in the past. One was a Staph aureus uh, vaccine trial, and the other one was a, um, a vaccine trial against uh, Clostridium difficile, which some of you guys may have heard about. Um, and those 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 studies took um, years and years to do. 
because it took, it was really hard to enroll a lot of patients in them. And because uh, every patient then requires like a massive amount of paperwork to go through. Well, you know, the, the FDA realized that that was going to be a, a limiting factor. And so they allowed um, the studies to be done kind of simultaneously in all these different places all at once. They rolled out the studies very quickly and they were able to enroll lots of patients. So the study was done exactly the way it would have been done, like in the studies that I've done in the past. It, it was just like those, except it was done just kind of on hyperdrive. So they were able to enroll lots and lots of patients all at once. And then the, because we had so much COVID around, we got the results very quickly. So a lot of times, you know, these studies require um, a certain number of people to get uh, sick with whatever the disease is that you're trying to protect people from. And in normal situations, like with, for example, with a Clostridium difficile C. diff uh, vaccine that I worked on before, you had to enroll thousands of people to get a couple of cases of C. diff in that population. Because we had so much COVID, unfortunately, um, in circulating in the world, these studies were done actually really quickly and they were able to identify the, the case. They, they were able to identify cases in the different populations very quickly. So everything kind of rolled very quickly as a result of some lucky breaks that we got in the beginning, um, some regulatory um, easing, and then also some um, just some luck again in the fact that's maybe not lucky, but the fact that we had so many cases, the studies were able to go very quickly. And the one thing that I think was the, you know, if you may have heard this, um, you know, uh, operation work speed. And yeah. really, really what that did was basically it allowed the companies, it gave the companies some financial uh, safety to actually start manufacturing the vaccine before the trials were entirely done. So usually you'll wait for all the licensing to be done. And then after that, you know, once the FDA approves the vaccine, then you would start manufacturing the vaccine. So it may take, you know, six months to a year to get onto the market. But what happened is as soon as they identified the vaccines that they wanted to start studying, um, the FDA allowed the companies to start manufacturing the vaccine with the understanding that if the trials went really well and the vaccines were good, then they could roll it out. Then they had all the supply already made over the last six months. Um, but it was a big risk because if the studies didn't work out well, then they, that would be uh, all that su vaccine supply would have to be thrown away. Um, and so we got lucky again there because those studies have shown incredible um, efficacy. So both yes. both uh, vaccines are about 95% effective at preventing symptomatic disease and about 100%, just under 100% effective at decreasing um, severe disease. So they're really great. Uh, it's probably the, some of the best vaccines we've ever made. It's the same as like with measles, mumps, rubella, really with yeah. the measles part of, uh, of the vaccines that are so effective in the past. So it's, it's really, it's been, it's been a combination of luck, a combination of, um, you know, some kind of forward thinking on the part of the FDA and then some risk taking on the part of the companies that actually made the vaccines even before they knew they were effective. That's great. That is just a wealth of information. And I hope for you folks who didn't know the history and how all of this was able to come together, were able to pick up on some of the facts that allowed the vaccine to be uh, created safely. Uh, so thank you so much. I had a couple questions about uh, folks who have had COVID. I'll go back to Alejandro uh, since uh, you've, and I know Dr. Rubin, you've done this as well, but uh, Alejandro, if someone has had COVID, um, can they get the vaccine? That's a great question. So yes, um, because COVID can cause severe disease and because you can get reinfected with COVID, um, it is recommended that those that have had COVID in the past definitely do get um, the vaccine. Now, you can't get the vaccine if you have COVID currently, you'll have to wait a little bit till you're 
well. Um, but yes, definitely recommended for people who've had COVID as well. Okay, that's great. And then uh, let's talk a little bit about side effects. Absolutely. So uh, this will be uh, for either for both of you uh, to chime yeah. in here. And we'll start with Dr. Rubin. So if folks have pre-existing health conditions uh, like diabetes, heart issues, asthma, um, you know, could the vaccine cause some potential side effects? Well, just for the general public um, in the studies that were done, about 5% of people had side effects um, after the first shot. And after the second shot, about 20% of people had, um, had side effects as well. And, and these side effects were actually fairly mild. So they last for about one to two days. Um, and usually it's people feeling fatigued. Um, sometimes you feel like a little achy, uh, you know, like you've got a, like a low grade, um, you know, fever, things like that. And then, but the average length of that, of the symptoms lasts for about a day or two. Uh, a lot of times people think that the second shot, you know, is more severe or something, but it's, it's not, um, this, the symptoms, the quality of the symptoms are the same between the first and second. It's just after the second dose, uh, you know, more people actually will have the side effects. And that's just your immune system kind of gearing up against, against the vaccine and, and, and training your immune system to fight off COVID. Um, if you look at the trials, so the trials that were done um, had about 70, the two trials for, for the two vaccines that are currently in the market had a combination of about 77,000 people in the trials and about half of those people got the vaccine. So, you know, 35,000 plus people got the vaccine. Um, and they, there was a whole host of people that were, that got the vaccine. There were very few exclusions. Um, so most people in that trial were like a reflection of, of real life American population. So there yeah. were people that had asthma. There were people that had um, HIV or immune compromised states and were on medications for other things, you know, for that uh, suppress their immune system. So it's a pretty good reflection of what, of what the general population in the U.S. is. And they did not find any higher levels of side effects with people who were taking those, those medications or had those high-risk um, you know, situations. And, and what we do know is that those same people um, that have those higher-risk uh, you know, immune situations are at a greater risk for having um, you know, worse outcomes from COVID. So they're really a good target group. They're really the people we want to get vaccinated, um, particularly because the vaccine we know uh, protects them from you know, from having a really bad outcome with, with COVID. Thank you, Dr. Rubin. And, and Alejandro, I wanted to ask you, um, I know Dr. Rubin touched on folks with pre-existing conditions. There's some, you know, news stories out there um, that have these fantastic, you know, wow story headlines. When I say fantastic, I don't mean, you know, good news, but like, oh my gosh, you know, multiple people might have had a severe reaction from the uh, from the vaccination, and so I wanted to ask you, Alejandro. Um, you know, what are the odds of someone having a severe allergic reaction to the COVID yeah, vaccination? Absolutely. So, very good question, actually. Um, so, as Dr. Rubin had mentioned, some people will, won't have any side effects. Um, many people will have mild side effects, um, like pain or swelling at the injection uh, induction site. Some people might have headaches, or fever. But this, these are all normal reactions, and they just show that the vaccine is working. Um, there are some, a small number of people who have had um, severe allergic reaction called anaphylaxis um, to vaccination, um, but it's very it's extremely rare. And like Dr. Rubin said, it's it's very very rare to 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 see like this um, uh, severe reaction. Um, when you do get your vaccine, if you do happen to have any severe reaction, um, we do have medicines um, that can effectively and immediately treat the reaction um, if you do, you know, 
have an allergic reaction of this of this type. That's great, Alejandro, for that for sharing that. And, and I, if I could just if I could just add to what Alejandro is saying, you know, now there have been uh, between the two vaccines, there have been millions of doses now that have been delivered um, in the United States and outside the United States, like 20, 50 million doses probably across the world. And, and this is an incredibly safe vaccine. So, you know, allergic reactions we see all the time. I mean, when I, um, you know, did clinical medicine um, full time, a lot of times I took care of patients who are on antibiotics at home and I would, you know, send them with antibiotics. And if, if, uh, if, some, if like a home healthcare agency was giving, um, you know, home IV antibiotics, they would always have to bring an anaphylaxis kit with them because anytime you give, you know, the first dose of medication to somebody, there's always a risk of anaphylaxis. So, so this vaccine is no different. It's, it's the same as like taking sulfur or penicillin. It's not the same allergy, but any, anytime you get a medication, you know, there's always some risk of allergic reaction, although it's really, really low. And you have to compare that not against not getting the vaccine, but against getting COVID because that's really the, those are really the two options right now because we have so much widespread COVID is you either get the vaccine and that protects you from COVID or you end up getting COVID. Um, and we know what happens with COVID that, you know, one out of every um, eight to 10 people ends up in the hospital with COVID. And out of that, you know, one out of every 10 people in the hospital ends up dying of COVID. So one, you know, almost 2% of people in the United States who've gotten COVID have now died of COVID. And you can't say that of, of the COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine has been incredibly safe and there haven't been really any documented cases that, uh, of deaths that have been directly linked to the COVID vaccine. So it's an incredibly safe vaccine as far as we know. It's been given to millions of people now across the world. And um, you know, it's much, much safer than trying to get COVID, trying to survive COVID at this point. Thank you, Alejandra. Anything to add on the side effects? I know Dr. Rubin uh, touched on it, but I know you've uh, recently been on the front lines and as a nurse have been giving vaccine for a long time. Um, anything else to comment on the side effects? Well, just in terms of the COVID vaccine and, and the pods, um, when I was there, I didn't see anybody have any reactions at all. So um, everybody was okay when they got their vaccine. That's and I great. Any severe, any severe reactions at all coming from our back, uh, our pods at all. So, and okay. like Dr. Rubin said, it's definitely one of the safest vaccines we have. That's great news. And one thing for the audience, um, as you hear Dr. Rubin and Alejandro share about, you know, the side effects or lack of witnessing any severe reactions, I just want to encourage you folks to consider the news sources um, when you hear uh, stories about the vaccine. Um, you know, what is the intent of the news organization with their headline? Uh, what is their goal to draw in an audience? So keep that in mind. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to bring in Dr. Ruben Alejandro is really to share the facts and frontline experience. Um, and that, again, is the goal of today's session is to get the facts and definitely use 24-hour home care's uh, leadership, whether it's your care coordinators, your uh, managers for uh, our frontline team, for our support team. Uh, our company has a wealth of information. Andy Matthews has done a great job as well, leading a lot of our vaccine efforts. And there's probably a lot of other folks that I am forgetting to name. So again, um, you know, really encourage you, look at the facts, consider the news sources. And we're actually a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, I wanted to see if Amaris, if you would be okay to start taking some audience questions, um, but I'll leave it up to you, Amaris. Are you, uh, are we good with that? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Gavin. I appreciate it. Um, I did get a lot of great questions in. So thank you all who uh, 
pinged me separately uh, with your guys's questions. I did have, for time purposes, have to consolidate just the highest frequency of questions that came in. Hey, Amaris. Yeah, I sorry, can you I hear didn't me? get a chance to uh, really introduce you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, so folks, uh, for those of you that don't know Amaris, uh, Amaris does a lot of behind the scenes work for 24 hour home care when it comes to community engagement and events. And she spent a lot of time and effort to put this thing together. Also, she's gonna be um, leading future events. So I felt it was very important for our frontline team and all of our caregivers to get to know Amaris a little bit, see her face. And I think it would be great uh, for her to participate here at the end. So thank you so much Amaris again for all the effort you put together for this event and I'll let you take it from here. Of course, thank you so much. And I hope everyone gets a lot of great information out of it. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of you guys submitted great questions in. Um, and so we appreciate that um, because we wanna utilize our expert panel here that we have today. Um, so the first question, um, is the vaccine free? Okay, I, I can answer. Perfect. So your doctor or pharmacy, when we have it in your doctors or pharmacy um, locations, um, may charge a small fee for giving the vaccine, but it will it should all be covered by public and private insurance companies. Currently, um, no one should be paying for the vaccine. So yes, it is free. Perfect. The next question that came in, um, which is this individual heard that the um, vaccine will be available public to the public, uh, the rest of the public in the spring. And is that still the case or do you have any updated information uh, in terms of the timing of the access? Well, I, I can try to answer that, which is, um, I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> uh, you, you know, like there, it depends what part of the public you are in. So right now, you know, 65 and older and healthcare workers are um, in the tier to be vaccinated now. So all of the people on this call who are, you know, who are working for um, home care can actually get vaccinated currently. So you, the problem is it's trying to get an appointment is, is not the easiest thing. So it's very tricky right now because you're competing against a lot of other people because currently we just have a shortage of vaccine. We have a lot, a lot of people who want it and we just don't have enough of it. Um, so probably until March or April, we're gonna have, this is gonna be kind of the same situation, which is lots more people are gonna want the vaccine than we actually are able to vaccinate just based on the, the amount of vaccine that we have in the, in the world right now. Um, my understanding is that in March and April that uh, we may start seeing a, a fairly large expansion of the doses um, and that the numbers of people getting vaccinated will expand significantly in March and April as the vaccine supply gets better. And then hopefully they can open that up to more than just healthcare workers at 65 and older, but also to, you know, probably, well, probably fairly soon in the next couple of weeks, they'll start opening up to, uh, to teachers and some other groups. But um, but you know, till everybody who wants one can get it, and there's no more tiers. You know, uh, like basically that means we have kind of an unlimited supply at that point. So anybody wants to get it, probably we're not talking um, until later in the spring. I would say like April, May, or something. Then we'll probably see a lot more. But you know, until then, it's going to be um, a lot of calling and trying to make appointments. Uh, you know, to to get the vaccine. But hopefully in May or, you know, you know, end of April, May, June, something like that, that you know, my hope is that um, the vaccine will be widely distributed enough so that you can go get it at your visit, your primary care doctor, or you can get it at any number of um, healthcare settings, as opposed to now where you have to go to very specific places. We have a limited number of places that you can go. So, um, 
you, you can get it. Everybody on the call who's in within home, you know, home care uh, services can actually probably get the vaccine now. You just have to, you just have to, you know, deal with making an appointment, which is the hardest part. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, which I know right now we are encouraging our um, 24 hour home care caregivers and frontline caregivers um, to go sign up and get the vaccination. Um, so more information on that for all of our caregivers. Uh, the next question that I received in, um, and this could be for either of you, is how do we know what vaccine is being administered, whether Pfizer or Moderna? Um, and do we have a choice on either option? So, Alejandro, you want to take that one or should I take that one? Go for it. And you can go, Dr. Rubin. Go for it. Uh, yeah, so as I said before, I mean, the, the vaccines are, are, you know, are obviously different. There's a Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine that are handled a little bit differently. They're based on the same um, technology and they basically have the same efficacy. They both are about 94 point something percent effective. So uh, to me, they, they're basically the same, very similar vaccines. And I don't think it's really, you know, there's really no differentiation that you should make on a clinical basis between one vaccine or the other. So whatever vaccine is available, I think I would just take it if you can get the appointment um, for it. Um, but generally the county sites have Pfizer vaccine and the LA city sites like the uh, Dodger Stadium sites, those uh, tend to be Moderna. And then all these other different um, providers are kind of a mixture of uh, Pfizer and Moderna. Um, the way we're dealing with it now is we're not really making big distinctions about one, you know, one vaccine versus the other, um, but you wanna make sure you just get the second dose of the same vaccine. So if you, uh, as long as you, you, know, you get the Pfizer vaccine, you keep with Pfizer, you just go back to the same place you got the first dose and you should be able to get the second dose of that same vaccine. Um, so we don't want, it's probably not a big deal if you you know if you had Pfizer initially and you get a Moderna or vice versa, probably not a huge deal. But um, we're still recommending that you get the same. You know, if you started with Pfizer, you end with Pfizer. If you start with Moderna, you end with the second Moderna shot. And as long as you go to the same place the second time to get your second shot, you should get the same vaccines. That's not a problem. Well, I think where it becomes tricky is if you go to one place to get one, you know, your first shot, and then you try to just go to another place to get your second shot. You may end up in a situation where you know if you go to like the LA County, um, you know, megapods, you'll get the Pfizer vaccine and then you try to go to the LA city and you'll, and they'll only have Moderna. Um, you, they may not give it to you. They probably won't give it to you. They'll tell you to go back to the other place and you'll kind of have wasted some time in line. So uh, just, it's not important which vaccine you get. It's just important that you kind of complete the, the series with the same vaccine. Yeah. I was just on the website yesterday. Um, I know for the LA City, they they do they do specify which one they have. Um, but like Dr. Rubin said, at this point, really either or would be great. Just make sure that you get the same dose or the same vaccine when you go for your second dose. That's perfect to know. Thank you uh, both so much for answering that. Um, the next question that um, I received in was uh, more centered around compromised um, health and like other diseases. One of them being um, if like, should you, should those that have an autoimmune um, disease uh, receive the vaccine? Um, since I guess with autoimmune diseases, they already have like a hyper immune um, system in general since it's a, a booster. Yeah, so we know, we know that those are the people, again, those are the highest risk people for, 
for COVID disease, for having bad outcomes for COVID or people that have like diabetes or asthma or autoimmune disease, we know they do the worst with COVID. So they are a very specific target group to get vaccinated. So we want those people to get vaccinated. The vaccine is safe in those populations. Um, again, they were included in the clinical trials. Sometimes clinical trials exclude everybody that has all these that have all these different medical conditions. The great thing about these trials was that they included them. So it's really like a real life sample of the American population in that there were people with all kinds of different um, issues and medical issues in those trials. And it seemed to be effective across all of those things. And there were no adverse events, you know, serious adverse events in those trials. So yeah, definitely recommend, those are specifically the people we want to get vaccinated because those are the ones who do the worst when they get the COVID uh, infections. Right. Very true. Um, another question that I received in was what happens if you get your first vaccine uh, and then you test positive and you're already positive? Oh, so like I said before, so, if, oh, go for it, Dr. Rubin. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, I was just going to reiterate um, that you shouldn't get your vaccine if you have COVID, but I've, I've realized that the question was <laughs> different. Um, go for it, Dr. Rubin. I, and I can repeat it. If oh, so <laughs> yeah. So the, um, yeah, so we're, we're seeing this a lot because we've been vaccinating, um, you know, healthcare workers very aggressively, especially, you know, the vaccine rolled out during the surge. And so we had a lot of people that got vaccinated and then within that first two weeks, before you develop antibodies, you don't really have any additional protection. So you're, you know, you're going to see people who are either incubating at the time they get the vaccine, or you know, get exposed right after they get the shot and develop COVID. So that that happens. Um, we do believe that once you, if you develop COVID after the vaccine, um, which does happen, it's about ninety, like I said, ninety-five percent effective means that one out of every twenty people, or five percent, one out of every twenty people will still develop develop COVID. But the benefit is if you develop COVID after you've gotten the vaccine, the really, you know, the, the risk of having serious COVID is basically zero. So, you know, you, you, you decreases your risk of having that infection considerably. So, you know, even if you're high risk, even if you've had an exposure, and we did this in the nursing homes, we vaccinated people even who were in the yellow zone who were exposed to COVID, because we believe that, you know, the benefit of getting that vaccine in outweighed, you know, any concern about uh, about about that about, about developing COVID after after the vaccine and you know in those trials they also they didn't you know they did they did see that as well so there were people who developed uh, COVID within the first two weeks after vaccine um, dosing and so that's again that's kind of life you can't control sometimes when you're exposed or or um, even if you don't even know you're exposed and you're exposed you can't control that so the recommendation our recommendation is Get the vaccine as soon as you, you possibly can, because that will protect you from getting COVID 95% of the time. And if you do get COVID, even after the vaccine, the likelihood you get a severe case is, is much, much lower after you get the, the vaccine. So, you know, we're, you know, we're, there's some question now from the CDC, hasn't answered it yet, about whether, well, if you get, if you get the COVID vaccine and then you get COVID afterwards, do you still need a second dose of the vaccine? Um, and that's still an open question. We don't know. Right now, we're recommending that you still get the second dose. But as Alejandro said earlier, you you don't want to give it right in the middle of somebody having COVID. So you push it. You can push it off um, for up to ninety days after after you you know have a case of COVID. So um, anyway, that's kind of the general idea. We don't we don't know um, 
if you need the second dose, but we're still recommending it at this point, even if you have a case of COVID. Okay, perfect. Um, and I know that we are coming up here close to time. Uh, and so I'll just um, share a couple more um, with you guys. Um, the next question, just kind of going off what you were just explaining, um, is if we have any information on um, if the vaccine is equipped to protect individuals from any different mutations or variants of COVID-19. So I, I'm gonna just I'll speak a little bit about that. And Dr. Rubin, you can you know uh, also um, speak on it as well. Um, so far, we do know that the um, vaccines are effective with the variants. Um, so yes, and that's a very good question. Um, Dr. Rubin, have you heard of any of anything differing from that? Yeah, well, it kind of depends on the variant um, and what, you know, so I think we're still learning a lot. Um, we do believe that there was a clinical trial for um, one study, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is not on the market yet, that was ongoing in South Africa. And what they found was that um, one of the variants in South Africa that you may have heard of, it was just recently identified in the United States, had a slightly lower uh, level of protection against um, this, this, this variant. And, uh, you know, it, does, it doesn't mean that it's not effective at all. I mean, it's about, it went from about 90% effective um, against, you know, the general uh, COVID, but, and it went down to about 70% effective against that uh, particular variant. So, you know, there's still a reason to get vaccinated, even if, you know, we do have these kind of variants floating around um, all over the place, um, because they do provide protection. And that's true of influenza as well. So even though, you know, influenza vaccine every year, we get it and we recommend it. You know, there's some years where the vaccine is just not perfect for whatever the strain is that's out there, um, but it does still provide protection from those um, circulating variants. So we do recommend getting the vaccine anyway. And uh, I know the vaccine manufacturers are looking at, um, and the scientists are looking at uh, these variants and, um, and are kind of modifying some of the, the vaccines potentially for the future. So I know Moderna has already said that they're developing a booster shot they'll be effective against the South African variant. And that's what I would kind of expect, at least for the short term. I, I hope it's not like influenza where we have like every year we have another COVID vaccine that we have to take, um, you know, but we just don't know yet. But I mean, the, the hope is that the, um, the scientists and the, and the vaccine manufacturers can, can modify the, the vaccine a little bit uh, based on whatever variant becomes kind of more popular, you know, more, more kind of around in the community. So there are things we can do to kind of protect ourselves from the variants as well, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't get the shot. You still should get the shot for now because it still protects you from these variants, even if it's not quite as good as, as, if, if, as against the, the non-variant strains of COVID. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for answering that. I know we have um, about a minute left, so I'll just ask one final question. Um, and then if there are any other questions, um, maybe we can send over to you guys. You guys can respond to me via email and I'll share um, with the, the group afterwards. Um, but is there an estimated timeline on determining if a vaccinated person can be a carrier of COVID, um, or is this being studied for a definitive answer if you do not know? I do not know, Dr. Rubin, do we have? Yeah, so so the, um, so the we don't really know yet. So the, the studies that were done, actually the, the outcome of the studies that they looked at was symptomatic disease, meaning people develop symptoms of COVID. Um, and that's how they determined, you know, how much protection there was from the vaccine. 
what they didn't study, and it's a lot harder to study, are the patients, are the people in the in the in the study arms that that never developed any symptoms of COVID, but could be you know carrying COVID and could potentially transmit it. So those studies are currently being done. So those are kind of follow-on studies to the original um, Pfizer and Moderna studies. So we're hoping that in a couple of months, uh, two, three, four months, that we may have a lot more of that information. Um, my my gut feeling is, you know, that that they're probably very protective against um, having asymptomatic infection as well, because they are such effective vaccines that you know once you get the vaccine, that it's probably very unlikely that you can actually get the infection and transmit it to other people. You may be able to get a really mild case or, or asymptomatic case, but to be able to transmit it to others, it seems like it would be very unlikely um, given the level of protection that it seems to give against uh, symptomatic disease that we just don't know yet. So the studies are still ongoing and that's why you, know, you, you may have heard, like we're still recommending that you know, people wear masks and socially distance uh, even after they've had the vaccine. And that's because we just don't know um, about whether you can actually still get an asymptomatic case and transmit it to other people. So once we have that study, hopefully we'll know, um, you know, we'll be able to give better information about whether you need to continue wearing masks and stuff like that. Unfortunately, we may end up having to wear masks anyway because some of these variants floating around. So uh, we may be stuck wearing masks for some time, even though we've been vaccinated, which is kind of a bummer because I mean, at least for me, I can't stand wearing a mask all the time, but um, anyway, for now, at least it looks like we're stuck with the masks and social distancing and all those things until we know a little bit more about the protection and we know a little bit more about the variants. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the story right now. Hopefully if we come back in a few months, maybe we can uh, update that with, with more research that would come back. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I know we're a couple minutes over, um, but wanted to thank uh, the two of you for joining us um, as our expert panel. Um, and thank you, Gavin, for facilitating this informative um, question and answer session on the vaccine. Um, thank you all for joining us today. And as a reminder, this will be recorded um, and we will um, send out um, this link for you, as well as for our 24-hour home care um, caregivers, there will be some um, additional resources and links in terms of access um, for the vaccine as well that we'll be um, sharing out. Um, but again, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you all for uh, coming on. Hope you have a great day. Thanks, Bye. Thanks guys. Something really quick. Hi, everyone. Thank you. So I just wanted to just share that the reason why I get, I got the vaccine and why you should get the vaccine is to one, obviously protect yourself, but definitely your family, your friends, and all of your patients as well, um, and your community. And I think it's very important that we think about this as like a, a bigger thing, not just ourselves. Um, I live in East Los Angeles and one of the hardest hit you know communities here um, in our county. Um, with cases and also really high mortality rate as well. And so um, I think it's important that we as citizens um, do this for the greater good as well. Thank you so much for that. Definitely appreciate it. Well, thank you so, so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye everyone. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.